that is what I want to begin to preach to you about today in this early part of a brand new year, how to really live in the will of God. Now, I could give you some really good teaching on how not to live in the will of God because I have long been an expert at that. And I'm trying to live and learn what it is to live every day every hour and yes I would love to learn how to live every moment in the will of God when the time comes that I am called out of here you know that I will at that moment be perfected you will know at that moment that pastor Mike is finally living up to all the preaching that he'd been doing that he couldn't quite get to in this life but until that time comes I want to keep giving all diligence to add to my faith and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. That's what I want to do. There are many phrases and, and statements made around church which we have heard thousands of times, but of which I think many of them are not clear in our minds. We have tackled a few of those over the last couple of years, things like, what is salvation? What is salvation really? We've talked about the kingdom of God and understanding that. And it's not that we understand it all, but we have come to grow in our understanding and the knowledge of these things. But there's another one that we hear a lot and, and use in church lingo, the will of God. The will of God. I have so many things that have been in my heart and mind since Thursday morning of this week. And about uh, 8 o'clock this morning, I realized that they just weren't all going to get to be shared today. But I, I think it would be worth, if God will, I think it would be worth spending time in this thought for as long as God would have us to, to understand what is the will of God and how do I live there. We talk about doing the will of God and we pray for God's will to be done but does it not seem like for many of us those are statements made around church, perhaps, but they're not translating into practical living in our day-to-day -day lives? Now, that's not to say that it's always because we don't care about the will of God. But it, it might simply be that we haven't come to understand and appreciate what we mean by the will of God. I think often when we hear uh, teaching or preaching about it, it kind of leaves us with a little bit of a head scratch afterwards. That sounds right, sounds good, but what does that actually mean? Just as an example of how the will of God translates into our day-to-day -day lives, think of how you spent your day yesterday. Just think about yesterday. Remember your morning yesterday. Now, some of you are struggling already. I, don't rem I can't remember that far back. But just think about how, how you got up yesterday, how you got out of bed. What did you do for the first hour or two of your day? Did you go anywhere yesterday? And why? Why did you go there? What did you spend your time doing yesterday? And with whom did you spend your time doing that? What did you listen to? What did you watch 
I don't just mean on television, but I mean what did you pay attention to throughout your day? What did you take into your mind, allow to come into your mind? Now, were those things the will of God or were they the will of yourself? And at, at its most basic understanding, that is what we mean when we talk about living in the will of God. Obviously, this, in fairness, brings up some very important questions. Like, number one, how can we know the will of God for our lives? Now, it's good to go back and visit these things, but there are some big-picture things that are true for every believer. You know, the Great Commission is for every child of God. You know, loving God and loving one another and loving your neighbors yourself for everyone. We know that's the will of God. There are some big things that we know are the will of God, but those are big picture things that will in, impact our every day and our every moment, but, but outside of the big things, what about the unique things about you? You know, I talked about that class, Brother Corey mentioned that class, how we're all unique, we're all designed differently. Now, we have a lot of similarities, but there's no two of us that are just alike exactly. And so God has some things that he wills for your life. Now, if I have a choice, and if you have a choice on the surface, and we say, well, I really want what God wills for my life, or I'll take what's behind curtain number two, what I will for my life, nobody in their right mind would take curtain number two. But the difficulty is curtain number two is easier to tap into and put our hands on. I get up and I feel hungry, I eat, right? That's curtain number two. Not that God's will would include me not eating, but, I, but I'm simply saying when we don't even have to think about what God wants in those things and we just do what we feel inclined to do, what feels right, what seems to make sense. So one good question is how can we know the will of God for our lives? The second question this brings up is what is the point of doing the will of God what is the point what is it about motivation matters doesn't it I need to know not only what to do but why I'm doing it and a third question is well how much of a say do I get in my daily life if I'm doing the will of God moment by moment do I get to make any choices at all or am I just doing always what God dictates to me to do. Now, that's a fair question, and being able to answer that question will help us understand what living in the will of God is. I want to try to answer all three of those questions very shortly right here at the beginning. How can we know the will of God for our lives? Surrender. Just let go of your will. You just got to give it all to Him. I can tell you, January the 3rd, 1997, between 10 and 11 o'clock in the morning at Statesville Stained Glass in front of the restroom sink, I knelt and said, Lord, I'm tired of it. I give you everything. If you'll use me, if you'll have me, Lord, I just want to serve you. I, my life's not mine. I give it to you for 26 years. For 26 years, that is how, with God's help and His grace, I have sought to live my life. Certainly not perfectly, and there's been some dips along the way, but I tell you today, 26 years and five days later, it is the motive of my life. The passion of my life is to live in the will of God 
for the glory of God. I don't understand it all, and I don't get it all right, but I want it badly. Question number two, what is the point of doing the will of God? Well, it comes down to this simple thing, God's glory. Why should I do God's will over my own? Because doing God's will brings glory to God. Let me define glory. Glory is weight. You know what God is to the culture of our world? Very light and almost nothing. And in some Christian lives, God seems very light and almost nothing. To give glory to something is to add weight to that thing. I remember many, many years ago, I was very young in my serving the Lord, and Brother Rick Hildebrand, you've met Rick Hildebrand, he came to our church preaching in a youth revival meeting. And, you know, this is one of those things, like throughout your life, how many sermons have you heard preached? I mean, I've been in church all my life, and I've got to tell you, I don't remember a whole lot of them, just at the... But he preached a message one night of that youth meeting on how much does God weigh? How much does God weigh? And he gave the teaser the night before and said, tomorrow night I'm going to tell you how much God weighs. You know what the answer to the question is? God weighs just as much as you will let him. Because as we glorify God, His weight becomes greater and greater and greater in our life. But if our life is such that we don't honor God and we don't bring glory to God, God is as lightweight to us. And our lives are lightweight lives. Now, here's the third question. This is the juicy one. How much of a say do I get in my daily life? Do I get to make choices in my daily life if I'm going to live in the will of God? I was pondering on this with Athena, we were out on a walk Friday morning and I was saying to her, this is where the mind will go for those that are listening. They're, they're going to say, well, preacher, how do you know that going on that walk Friday morning was the will of God? How do you know that, that uh, going to that store or doing that thing was the will of God? I mean, did God really want you to do that? How do you know? Let me answer the question and then illustrate it. How, how, many, how much of a say do I get in my daily life? How many choices do I get to make if I'm living in the will of God? Tons. Tons. I get to make bunches of choices every day in my life. And so will you, living in the will of God. Let me illustrate that. I was thinking about when we were living in Florida many, many years ago, and I was a missionary, and I would be gone to the prison, or I'd be gone over to the youth facility or whatever, and... There were sometimes I would be home for during the day or the evening or whatever, and I'd come looking to see where the children were, and I'd look out the back, and there'd be the boys in the yard back there playing. We still got a picture of the, of the hole they dug. They were digging a... I don't know if they were digging to go to China like all of us dream about doing when we're little, or if they were just building an underground bunker, but they are all decked out in their army stuff, and our pastor, John, John Sawyer, his boy, John Robert, would come over and play with him. But I would stand and I would, I would see my boys playing out there in the yard. Now, at that moment in time, there was absolutely nothing that I required of them. They were doing exactly what they wanted to do and having a good time doing it. But as I saw them, I was very pleased with what I saw. I needed them to do nothing else in that moment. And in that moment, they were in my will. 
They were doing exactly what I would want for them to do because I had nothing else for them to do except to enjoy themselves. And watching them enjoy themselves brought joy to my heart. They were, in essence, bringing glory to my life. And friends, that is how it is living in the will of God. It is not that every step of every day you're having to find out in some sort of like panic where you're going to go gray-headed and lose your mind. Oh, what does God want me to do now? Should I eat this thing? Should I go there? You know, no, it's just learning to live in the place that God has for you, enjoying the life God has given you, and ready always. If he says, hey, I need you to come. I say to the boys, hey, boys, come on in. Now, when I say come in, if they stay out there, they are now out of my will. You see, that's how this works. So how many choices do I get to make if I live in the will of God? I get to make tons of choices. Now, let's see if we can drill down on this and understand just a little bit about what it really means to live life in the will of God. Now, we're introducing something that we're going to be spending time on in the days ahead. That's how I feel. But look at Luke chapter 12 this morning. He said, Preacher, are you going to give us any scripture? I mean to. I always aim to get there. I got a lot of scripture I want to give you. But I want to read this story, this parable that Jesus tells, and I want to just lay out some initial thoughts about knowing how to live in the will of God. There are decisions that have to be made right up front. Luke 12, verse 13, One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Jesus equates the value of our life and the meaning of our life. He puts it in the same sentence with beware of covetousness. Covetousness is really desiring or letting myself lead my life, getting what I want, doing what I want to do, acquiring what I want to acquire, and leaving God out of it. So to make the point, he then tells this story, verse 16, he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there, there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life, your life, my life, is more than meat. And the body, your body, and my body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then 
be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind, for all these things do the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather, seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. And fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms, provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is powerful truth, isn't it? It is one of those passages which we have to remind ourselves not to let our familiarity with it block us from paying attention. And it is one of those passages where we have to remember something that I said last week. Because we hear this, we read this, and we will say, Amen, I believe that. But I remind you that we don't believe something just because we say we believe it or even because we think we believe it. We believe it when we act like that thing is true. And so in this parable, Jesus is giving us an example of someone who lived totally within their own will to make their life better, to do what they wanted to do, and God was not in his thoughts. Now, we may say that that's not me. I'm not the rich farmer, but how do we live? Are we living as someone who is totally surrendered to the will of God, or are we living as someone who is building up our accounts, laying up our treasures down here, watching the bank statement come in and that bottom line growing? We believe it when we act like it is true. So in this story of a man who is rich in earthly goods, successful in his business, but he is broke in the eyes of God. Let me say that again. Here is the story of a man who is rich in earthly goods. Time out. Now you've got to get it out of your head if you're thinking, rich man, rich farmer, well, I know rich people and you know how they are. Every one of you sitting here qualifies. You are rich. Americans are rich. You have more than you need. Go home and open your closet. Open the cabinets in your kitchen, your pantry, and then call me up and tell me how poor you are. And to get a little bit ahead of myself, we tend to say, boy, ain't God good. Look how he's blessed us. Well, that's a bad habit we've made. We just credit God for all this baggage we've got in our life as if it was God's will for us to do that. So you're rich. So don't blow this off as, yeah, that's the rich people. No, you need to put yourself right there where this man is. What are you working for? What's your hope? What is your aim? It changes in stage of life, doesn't it? The young people, they want to land that job, graduate and land that job. Start, just get out there and start going after it. Middle-aged people, they just want to secure that spot and make sure retirement's good. Retired people just want to live long enough and healthy enough to play with the grandchildren and maybe play some golf. 
Let me ask you a question. Where in any of that is the will of God? I'm not saying God's will's not in that. I'm asking you where in that is the will of God? Because if any of it is out of the will of God, we're wrong. And remember, the ultimate will of God is that we live in such a way to bring glory to God in everything that we do. So what do we learn here? We got a rich man, rich in earthly goods, successful in his business, but he is broke in the eyes of God. And what Jesus is teaching us in this parable is the truth about the will of God and how God wants to make us truly wealthy. Now, I'm going to just tell you two things before we close today about this parable. Number one, Jesus is showing us we need to start with this knowledge that our lives do not belong to us. Your life does not belong to you. My life does not belong to me. And that's the first mistake we make. Why, we start with them when they're this big, don't we? Well, little Johnny, what do you want to do and be when you grow up? And by the time they're about to graduate, we say, how come you haven't decided what you want to do and be when you grow up? And then when they haven't figured it out after graduation for a little while, we're beating them over the head. Why don't you figure out what you want to do with your life and be something? And we just drill it in and drill it in and drill it in that we're supposed to go out there and make something of ourselves. Why do we do that? Because we think our lives are our own to do with as we please or maybe sometimes we want our children to do what would please us. Now, verse 20 is where we see this. God said unto him, to this rich man, to this American, to this American Baptist church member, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? We are, each of us, accountable to God. Solomon wrote of this time of reckoning and when death comes in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, he said, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was the body, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it, that is, your, your, your inner man. To live this way as being truly accountable to God is more than being faithful to attend church. It is more than tithing. It is more than having prayer over our meals and all the list of Christian activities and duties that we can come up with. But we must understand and pray for ever-increasing understanding that our lives are not our own to do with as we please. Now, in the will of God, there is much we can do that will please but when we have not cared about God's will and only sought to do our will, we are wrong. Let me illustrate this. I need a volunteer. Okay, let me tell you what you're volunteering for. I need somebody, anybody, that'll take their car keys out right now. Hold them up high. I see some car keys coming out. Thank you. There's a few people that are, some of y'all are like, I don't trust this preacher with anything. All right, Brother Tommy's got his up. I, what I want, how many car keys, you'll just be willing to say, here, here they are, preacher, and you're willing to let me come, select whichever one I want, take your car, and drive it from now on, wherever I want to, however I want to, as fast as I want to, what over any ground I want to, until I run it out of gas or total it in a side ditch. Who's willing? I don't believe you, Brother Tommy. It's all right. You just keep them there with Miss Barbara. 
Brother Tommy, I should have talked to him beforehand. He's ruining my illustration. <laughs> it's good to know a couple people in here trust me that much. <laughs> but I tell you, that, that's not what we would normally do, right? I, I should have done it this way. How many of you will take your car keys out and let Brother Tommy pick whatever set of keys? And... Now, we wouldn't do that with our cars, but we treat our lives that way. We take the life that God has loaned to us and we live it however we want to. We chase whatever we want to. We do whatever we want to. We, we make it all about ourselves. And then we come to church and we acknowledge God a little bit and then we go back out and continue that race to make our life what we want it to be. And we say a few prayers and we sing a few songs and we give a little money and we, we think God's just blessing us. And the whole time we're living like this farmer who when he had built and had more than he could use, didn't think about anybody else, God or nobody, but said, now how can I turn this into even more? Why? Well, the day's coming when I'm not going to be able to work, and I want to have that retirement account in such a condition that man, I can live out my days just traveling and, and playing golf and having a, a time at the beach and time at the mountains and just really live it up. I will have earned it. And that's exactly what this man was doing. He thought his life was his own, and that was the wrong way to think. This night thy soul may be required of you. Not a person in this room immune to that. And then who shall all those things be which thou hast labored and built up for thyself, ignoring God, neglecting loved ones, all in the name of, I'm doing it for you, honey. I'm doing it for us. I'm working hard now so in a few years we can really enjoy life together. That is foolishness! Some of you, we talk about going to marriage retreats and you're like, <laughs> Why? You've lived for yourself so long trying to convince yourself that it was all for us. No, it's all for you. Sir, ma'am, your children are knowing what's going on in your life. Your spouse knows what you're doing. God knows what you're doing. And you will give an account. God calls that foolish living. Here's a very important second text that I want to give you, and I know it's about time to close, and I will close, but I, you, you have to leave this morning thinking about these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Hey, you got to get out of the metaphorical, theoretical, and understand your physical body. This thing right here that hurts and feels stuff and that we, you know, use to get around and we do things with. And this thing belongs to God, not me. I ought to do nothing to this body that is not in the will of God for my life. Man. I can tell you about this old boy needs to spend some time on that point right there. I mean, I need that. But we never can fix it until we just get to this understanding that my body doesn't belong to me. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And it's the temple he dwells in. Hallelujah. I can't go anywhere but what the holy place isn't with me. And the Holy One. Now he goes on to say in that, in that passage, For ye are bought with a price. 
Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your spirit. Now we're getting into the heart of the matter, literally. Your heart. What you desire, what you choose, your, your longings, your dreams, the things you hope for, your heart. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It belongs to God, not me. Now, when I hijack God's ownership, when I walk into there and I say, whether it's in my heart or in my body, and I say, well, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do and this is where I'm going to go, and I've given no consideration to God, I'm living just like the man in this parable. And God says, that's foolish living because you're going to give an account for, for these things. Our life is not our own. It's been bought with a price. Therefore, all that you have all that you are, all that you hope for is or ought to be for one purpose, to live for the glory of God. To live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God. To live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God. What does it mean to live for the glory of God? It means that in everything I do, I am I am adding weight to God. I am magnifying Him. To live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God. That means that everything I do every day of my life, every hour of my life, I should be living in such a way that I'm making God look good. I want to live to make Jesus look good to others. I've heard this said before, and I've thought it before. Why is it that first... Peter 3.15 doesn't happen in our lives. 1 Peter 3.15, what's that, preacher? That's the verse where Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to those that would ask you of the hope that is in you. When's the last time you were in the grocery store and someone come up and said, could you tell me about it? Tell me, why are you so hopeful? How, how are you so positive about this? I mean, don't you see what's going on? How come you're not angry? How come you're not upset? How come you aren't out there picketing? When's the last time somebody on the job site asked you about that? For some of us, we wouldn't give them a chance to ask because we're too busy shoving our opinions down their throats. Not Bible stuff. Oh, we put the, we'll link a little Bible to it, but it's all about us. We're angry Christians, aren't we? That's not the will of God. We want people to come, but why are people not asking us of the hope? Because our lives aren't living in such a way that we're making Jesus look good to them. Matter of fact, what they see in most church members is that our hopes look no different than their hopes. I hope I get the promotion. I hope I get the raise. I hope I get that retirement plan. I hope I get that vacation. I hope I get that new car. I hope my, my guy wins the office. I hope this. I hope that. I hope this. And we sound just like the world. Why would they ask us about hope when our hope is no different than what they already have. To live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God. I'm going to stop there. I've given you really just one thing to think about as far as a, from the text. We need to start with this knowledge that our lives do not belong to us.